But let's go ahead and turn our attention to SaltCityHoops.com, where Dan Clayton joins us here on the Full Court Press. Dan Clayton, how are you? And welcome to round two of the NBA playoffs. <laughs> hey, fellas, I'm really excited. This should be some great basketball about to come at us. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I, was, I wrote today, I, I think the Jazz and Clippers, you could make the argument they're the two best teams left. They, they at least are by several regular season measures. So I just think we're going to see some great basketball and, you know, we'll see how it unfolds, especially as you guys were just mentioning without Mike Conley for at least this first game. Let me start here. I was just reading your tweets again. I stalk you on Twitter like crazy, especially on game day. You, you, you've been posting some positive things about Royce O'Neal. That was my biggest concern of Royce versus Kawhi Leonard, especially the just the momentum Kawhi has right now offensively uh, after the series against Dallas. What positives do you see with Royce guarding Kawhi Leonard? Well, yeah, I mean, Kawhi is coming off uh, just an amazing series. Uh, you know, the, the Clippers were down 0-2 and then won four out of five games to advance. Um, game six and especially game seven, Kawhi was just on another planet, both as an offensive threat as well as, you know, he started to take more responsibility for guarding Luka Doncic of Dallas. So he is coming into this series in a really good place. I think, you know, the, some of the stats I, I just, was tweeting about is the fact that over the last two seasons when Royce O'Neal has guarded Kawhi, um, he's allowed him just 31 points on 35 shots. Um, not a lot of free throw trips in those, in those four matchups, those four head to head matchups, not a, not a ton of assists, especially this year, last year, Kawhi was able to use that pressure that Royce was giving him to find some other guys. But, you know, bottom line is Royce has guarded Kawhi about as well as anybody and that doesn't mean that that's how the next four to seven games are going to play out, right? I mean, every basketball game is its own universe, and, and we'll see how it unfolds. But Royce does some things extremely well in terms of staying in front, playing him physical. I think that's the type of matchup why you, why you have a Royce O'Neal on your roster. I think this is the type of thing that he is well-equipped to handle, even, by the way, when he faces Paul George, who is, you know, let's not forget the Clippers' second all NBA level talent who even Paul George has only shot two for 13 against Royce O'Neal in the past two seasons. So I, I just, I think that it's going to be, I think Royce is going to be a key player in the series. Um, you know, we're talking about the defensive end right now, but even on offense, Royce is going to be important to keeping those guys honest and making sure that, that he doesn't become sort of a hiding place for guys that the Clippers are looking to, to buy some, <laughs> to buy some rest time against, right? Royce needs to be willing to to punish those uh, those helps and those rotations and take advantage of open shots that might come his way in this series. Dan, this is a, a, a matchup, understandably, very different than what Memphis was for the Jazz. For sure, yeah. Memphis had an incredible star in John Morant that the Jazz had a hard time containing. But beyond him, they did a really nice job defensively, for the most part, with everybody else. L.A., they've got Kawhi Leonard, which will be a really tough cover defensively, although Royce has been doing a pretty decent job with with him. But the the big difference here is that L.A. has Paul George. And we've had some, the Utah Jazz have had some great uh, matchups against Paul George. And as fans, we've really enjoyed watching him and Joe Ingles get at it. Um, (laughs) But beyond those two guys, what else does L.A. have that Jazz fans should be a little bit nervous about that these, these are some other players that could get hot and could punish Utah? So, so much is the answer to that question. Um, 
Yeah, so the Clippers are really deep, and in particular, they're really deep with guys who can really just stroke the ball. They've got a great shooting roster. They were the number one three-point shooting team in the regular season. Um, That's true. Sorry, just one second. There we go. Sorry, my phone's doing things. Um, That's true in overall terms. That's also true of both above-the-break three-point shots and corner three-point shots. They had seven guys on their regular season roster, you know, rotation regulars who were shooting above 40% from three for the regular season, plus Kawhi Leonard and Patrick Beverly, who were both at 39 point something and basically rounded up to 40%. So they're just, they are a team who they are very good at generating open looks from three and they're very good at canning them. And that's going to be the issue for the jazz. So it's, it's not just one guy. I mean, obviously, you know, Marcus Morris is, is a player who's getting a lot of talk today because um, one of the ways that the Clippers got away from Dallas is by making the, t- the decision to play small and putting Marcus Morris in at center and just letting that be awkward for their opponent. And chances are they'll try that at least at times with, with Rudy Gobert and the jazz as well. So, you know, that's important because Marcus Morris is a 47% three-point shooter in the regular season. And and if Rudy has to keep track of him or if someone has to keep track of him, then the floor gets wider for everybody else. But it, but it's not just, it's, it's not about Morris. It's not about it. Like literally everybody on their roster is a guy that they are comfortable with taking an, an open look from three. Um, You know, Reggie Jackson will likely start at point guard for them tonight. Um, Patrick Beverly had a bit of an off series against Dallas, but he's a good three point shooter and a, and a really tough defensive player. So they've just got a lot of guys. And, and, you know, if you're the jazz, you have to figure out a way to guard the ball without selling out around the three point perimeter, because that's, that's what the Clippers want teams to do. That's how they, that's exactly how they've been as good as they've been all season is, is just by preying on teams from the outside and, and running pick and roll in the middle of the floor to collapse the defense. And then they just make some of the simplest reads in basketball. And lo and behold, they, they have guys who can knock those down, those shots down. Besides stat wise about Mike Conley being out, what other things does Mike Conley bring to the lineup, the starting lineup that the jazz will miss, especially here in round two versus a veteran starting lineup? Yeah, I think from a scouting perspective, Ajay, I think the thing they'll miss the most is just Mike's ability to make reads, um, especially if the Clippers do go to some of those small ball lineups where they're going to be switching more pick and rolls. Um, the Jazz, the Jazz have a, a really unusually high number of pick and roll creators and and guys who can facilitate with the ball in their hands. Right? They have Conley and Donovan Mitchell starting. They have Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles coming off the bench, the, the two finalists for sixth man of the year in the NBA this season. They even have Boyan Bogdanovich, who we don't really think of him as a as a guy who's creating with the ball in his hands, but he can do some second-side creation and, you know, respond to what the defense is doing. So the Jazz are lucky in that regard. But I think of all those guys I just mentioned, Mike is the one who just is the most surgical about reading what defenses are doing and and just picking them apart with with the right read, the right pass. You know, my, in, in the Memphis series, and I threaded some of these videos, in the Memphis series, there were times where Mike was making the pass to an open guy before he was open. Like, he was making a pass based on what he knew a help defender was about to do. 
And that just that level of being able to read the game and react to it is is really important in general, but especially if the Clippers start switching pick and rolls and and start, you know, plugging things up and gumming things up that way. Um, What I will say, though, is that I do think Donovan Mitchell in the four games he played in the Memphis series also just looked patient and and thoughtful in a way I'm not sure we've seen from him in previous postseasons. I, I just think right now he looks like a player who's thinking the game more than he ever has and, and just really understands that if he takes his time and picks his spots, he, he can play a more efficient game. I, I thought he too just really carved up, um, you know, just carved up the Memphis defense. And, and honestly, the Clipper defense is about the same level. Um, the Clippers obviously have more tools on offense, but you know, Memphis was the seventh best defense in the NBA this season and the Clippers are the ninth. So, the Jazz are facing about the same level of defensive rigor. It's just a question of if they can keep up with the Clippers scoring because both the Clippers and the Jazz are elite at, at their own, you know, shooting at their own basket. Dan Clayton with Salt City Hoops joins us here on the Full Court Press talking about the Utah Jazz, LA Clippers game one tonight, which will be heard right here on the fan uh, a little bit later on this evening. And Dan, there's been some discussion from us uh, leading up to this matchup about how Rudy Gobert can defend in space. If he, if uh, if Clippers do go small and Morris is is the center and he's out there trying to hit forty five percent from three, how often is that going to draw Rudy away from the basket? And how well can he defend out on the perimeter? Yeah, it's it's a great set of questions, and and really, a, a, like those are the questions that might determine how this series goes. Right, um, I think. I think if the Clippers start and or finish games with, with the five guys that we're talking about, the, the way they started and closed in those two final games against Dallas was with Reggie Jackson at point guard. And then they basically had four guys who are like six, seven, six, eight, and just kind of play positionless basketball. That was Kawhi, Paul George, Nick Batum, and Marcus Morris. I think if the Clippers play that way, the Jazz will probably put Rudy on Nick Batum instead. Um, now Nick Batum is also a, a great spot up shooter. He's, he's a player who, you know, he'll hit open ones too, but I, but I just think he's a little bit less lethal than Morris. And so that gives Rudy, you know, chance to maybe venture away by a step or two and still be able to get back to his countryman, Nick Batum and try to challenge those shots. So that's how I would expect to play that out. But, but the question, the broader question here is just, what do you, what do the jazz want from Rudy Gobert in this series, right? Because he has shown over the last couple of seasons that he can guard in space. Now he can guard, you know, his, his outcomes, his numbers, when he's one-on-one against a guard in isolation, they're up there with the best big men, the, the most switchable big men in the league now. But what that means is that now he's not, you know, standing with two feet in the paint, protecting the rim. And that's where he has the most profound impact on the jazz defense overall. So it becomes a question not of, you know, does he guard Batum, does he guard Morris, and more a question of, you know, how can the Jazz make sure that they're not giving up three-point shots, but that they're also keeping Rudy right in his domain where he can impact, you know, all five Clippers and by by really, you know, just deterring them from getting all the way to the rim. And that's going to be the biggest question in this series. And, and the reason why a lot of people, why there's this myth out there 
that Rudy is less impactful in the playoffs. I don't believe that at all, but I do believe it's a question of, you know, it's, it's playoff basketball. And in the playoffs, it's all about taking a team out of what they do best and, and forcing them to do the things that they do second best and third best and fourth best. And in Rudy's case, you know, he can guard out on the perimeter when he needs to, but the Jazz would prefer to, to keep their schemes sound. And, and he's just so central to this sort of funneling scheme that they have to try to run three-point shooters off the line and, and limit the shots that make the Clippers so good. I mean, the, the Clippers, I know I'm going long here, so I'll come in for a landing, but the Clippers led the league in the regular season in points per game created off of spot-ups. So, so on spot-up shots, they averaged 31.5 points per game in the regular season. That was, that was tops in the league. In the playoffs, that's actually gone up. They scored 36 points per game off of spot-up shooting in the Dallas series. Now, Dallas isn't a great defensive team, but that just tells you that this is a team in, in L.A. that they know what they want to do, and it's largely about creating those looks and, and getting their many, many good shooters some open shots. Kind of an analysis question here, but I, I remember the team Dallas play a little bit of zone. Would, would Utah playing a zone defense if needed – would that be more successful than what the than what the Mavericks did against the Clippers, or are the Clippers just going to torch that zone too? No, I think it. I think it has to be an option. Um, the the nice thing about a zone is that it does keep Rudy close to the paint, right? And so that's one option that that the Jazz can do to make to make it so that to make it so that the Clippers rather can't just force Rudy to come out to thirty feet to guard Marcus Morris or Nick Batum or whoever it is. Um, what we've seen historically from Quinn Snyder tells me that they probably won't just go into a mindset where they're guarding in zone for long stretches, you know, where that becomes their core defense for a game or a quarter or a half. Um, usually they go to a zone defense as kind of a change up at different points throughout the game. So I, I think that's more likely than, you know, all right, you know, the Jazz are guarding in zone now for, the entire third quarter, I, I think they'll switch in and out of it. And it just gives Rudy an opportunity to, as I said before, still impact the paint without selling out on the three point shooters. Uh, with this, uh, it, there's a lot of stars on, on both teams, uh, great star power with the Clippers and the jazz, uh, multiple all-stars from both teams. But in this series for, for Utah, like who's that, Who's that uh, fringe guy that, I mean, maybe not necessarily a fringe guy, but somebody who's not a star that needs to play like one for the Jazz to really get this series taken care of? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, so, you know, obviously they're going to need huge things from Donovan Mitchell while Mike Conley is out, whatever that looks like. They're going to need Gobert to keep being Gobert, um, especially on the defensive end. But, hey, if the Clippers play small, they're going to need Gobert to be to be willing and able to punish those small ball lineups by trying to get to the rim as much as he can, you know, by slipping pick and rolls or, you know, just getting, getting behind the defense enough that it makes the Clippers think twice about those small ball lineups. But that's not really answering your question because those are the two, those are the two marquee <laughs> players. Right. I think, you know, again, um, Royce O'Neal is going to be massively important in this series on both ends of the floor. If you look at how, the Clippers guarded Dallas in the last round. They really tried to keep, especially Kawhi, but even Paul George, they really tried to keep Kawhi out of guarding Luka 
until they just absolutely had no choice left. You know, through those first two games, we didn't see a lot of Kawhi covering Luka directly. So they would put Kawhi on a player like Dorian Finney-Smith or someone like that that didn't need a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of constant attention. And that meant that Kawhi could be a helper and a roamer and just kind of play free on the defensive end. And look, like I said before, if he's going to try that against Royce O'Neal, Royce O'Neal is like a 42% three-point shooter. Royce has to punish him for that. Royce has to be willing to, to pull the trigger in a hurry if Kawhi or Paul George or anybody else is going to guard him but not really guard him. If, if that doesn't happen, then you've just given the, the Clippers a little bit of a hiding spot for some of their, for some of their guys to, to you know, catch their breath on the defensive end, and, and that's going to really impact the way that the, that the court is spaced for the other four Jasmine. So I think Royce is really important in this matchup. And, and Boyan Bogdanovich is going to be as well for offensive creation in whatever games Mike Conley is out. So you might have just answered this question, so forgive me for asking, but a texter just texted in asking, can the Clippers guard Rudy with a small lineup and still be successful? Yeah, so, you know, so for example, in the Dallas series, when, um, when the Clippers went to small ball, Dallas's response was to go supersized and just make it awkward for him, right? So they moved Chris Tapps Porzingis, who's like seven foot a million. Um, they moved him <laughs> to power forward and put Boban Marjanovic, who again is enormous, um, in its center. And that meant that Marcus Morris had to body up with Boban Marjanovic. And guess what? He did. Boban shot six for 14 in that series when guarded by Morris. So, you know, to answer the texter's question, like, yeah, you, you can do it. Now, Rudy is more of a threat. I love Boban. He's, he's a funny guy. He's an interesting player. But Rudy is much more of a role threat. He's a little bit more dynamic in, in the sense of, you know, being able to finish now with some one dribble and two dribble moves, something he didn't have in his bag even two or three years ago. But to Rudy's credit, he's developed that stuff. And so, you know, he's, he's someone, it's a little bit harder to just guard him by like getting into his body and keeping him off the rim. But I think a lot of it is going to come down to the guards making the right reads because Rudy is not a guy as much as I love Rudy. And I'm probably on planet earth. I'm probably one of the top 10 guys who has been shouting for years that Rudy Gobert is a super duper star. Like I think Rudy is great. He's fantastic, but he's still not a guy who can just go create his own shot whenever he wants to. So it's not going to be a situation where the jazz go, Oh, Morris is guarding Gobert or Nick Batum is guarding Gobert dump the ball into the post and let him go to work. That that has historically been a pretty inefficient way for the Jazz to use a possession. So I think instead what you're going to have to see is the guards making quick reads in pick and roll and getting the ball to go bare early on those situations where maybe he's slipping behind the defense. So uh, the this series, um, <laughs> national pundits everywhere picking the Clippers on this one. And I... I can understand why. I mean, the Utah Jazz have never been the sexy pick and probably never will be. But what I mean, what are the odds in your mind for the Jazz to really to, to pull this off and, and to win this series and defy the odds that are being placed against them? Yeah, you know, I've I've seen kind of a mixed bag. So um, I think on the ESPN column where they have their various pundits place predictions, I think. I think nine of them took the Clippers and seven of them took the Jazz or something like that. 
Um, there are a lot of statistical models out there that take some of the emotion out of it and just evaluate based on, you know, what we've seen from certain players and teams. And those models, I think, have like 538, for example, has the Jazz at 54% to win the series, the Clippers at 46. So, you know, I, I've seen, I think it's, I think it's a mixed bag, but I think pretty much everybody has it as more or less a coin toss. I think it's going to be really close. And, um, the Jazz do have some things that are going to work to their advantage. I know we've been talking mostly about the Clippers because we're trying to educate listeners who, who may see the Clippers less often than they see the Jazz. But the Jazz certainly have their advantages too. And, you know, look, let's start with the fact that Donovan Mitchell has been pray, playing basketball at a pretty special level um, this postseason and last postseason. If you combine the Memphis series with last year's Denver series, Donovan is averaging more than 34 points per 36 playoff minutes in the last two postseasons. And I don't know if he'll keep that up against the Clippers. The Clippers have a lot of big bodies that can drape themselves around Donovan and make his life harder. But even if he's anywhere close to that, that's just such a great starting point for the Jazz to have a superstar who can impact the game so much on offense and bend opposing defenses, and another superstar who just is a defensive scheme unto himself in Gobert. So, you know, I, I don't know where I'd personally put the odds, but it does feel like a coin toss series to me, and that's partially why I'm so excited for this game to tip, to tip off at 8 p.m. Mountain Time. Um, I, I just think we're really, I think this is a heavyweight battle. I think that there's a good chance that these are the two best teams left standing, and, you know, a lot of macro indicators from the regular season, there's just that the Clippers and the Jazz are the cream of the crop. We're talking about the number one and two teams in net rating, the number one and two teams in effective field goal percentage for the regular season. Um, these are just teams that have been consistently good for a really long time. And, you know, the, the bummer is that at the end of this series, one of them is going to have to go home, even though they might be the second best team in the league. Uh, but that's, that's just the way the playoffs work. So bring it on and, and we'll see what these two teams have in store for us.